destroyed it, but God made it grow. While he laid the foundation and other teachers built on it, it is the foundation, which is Jesus, that really matters. Without Christ, the teaching is not valid. Please join me in this morning's prayer confession. God Almighty, when we consider your greatness, we confess that our worries and concerns seem so trivial. There are times we get upset over spilling coffee on our clothes, and yet we find ourselves not getting upset over our neighbor's spiritual condition. Other times we get agitated over the slow person in the grocery line, but not as upset over the hours of worldliness that Hollywood sends into our living rooms every night. God, give us your priorities that desire to make a kingdom change in our world. Wash and purify us from sin and renew a right spirit within us. All this we boldly pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Hebrews 9, verse 26. If that had been necessary, then he would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But no, he came once for all at the end of the age to put away the power of sin forever by dying for us. Our guidelines for living this morning comes from Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. <coughs> Let's continue to worship God as we stand to sing the goodness of God if you can. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment I wake up. Till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. 
every breath that I am able. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close.
mercy we come to your table by your grace we are making us time we'll receive our morning tithes and our offerings and Steve to read about Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all was Jesus paid it all was written by Elvina M Hall in 1865. The music was composed by John T Grape 3 years later in 1868. The scripture reference for this popular hymn is Isaiah 1:18. Come now let us reason together says the Lord Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for paying it all. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins and wash us clean. We praise you, God, too, for the many blessings that you've given to us in this life. For health, for families, for friends, for homes. Lord, you are so good to us. We just give back a portion. Will you bless these people as they do that? In Jesus' name, amen. I hear thy Savior say, thy strength it is Child of weakness, watch and pray. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. But now indeed I find thy power alone can change a leprous thank you for this beautiful day in which we can celebrate and give praise and thanksgiving to you. I thank you for your love, God, that sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to give us the life that we have. We give you praise, Lord, for this country, and we give you thanks for the wonderful opportunities we have. I pray right now for our leaders, many of the challenges that they have before them, Lord, that they will guide and lead us not according to their wishes, but to yours. Pray about this crisis, especially with this balloon that the Chinese has sent over our nation to spy on us, Lord. I just pray that you'll give wise heads and wisdom as they deal with those situations. 
We thank you, God, for those who protect us, those who are overseas in the battlefields, and also those who are here every day watching over us and keeping us safe in our communities. I just pray, Father God, too, that you'll be with our shut-ins, those that we have, whom we love, Lord, who are shut in at home and can't get out. I think of Bill, and I think of Evelyn, and I think of Linda, and I pray of Karen, and also Lucille, and Kay, and Joyce. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for Ashley, who's going to be needing a neurosurgeon to do some surgery on her head. I pray also, too, Father God, for my cousin Nancy, who had a radical on Friday, Lord, and for her healing. I pray also, too, Father God, for uh, Larry's stepdad, Lord, as he's making the adjustment into a new home. I pray also, too, Father God, for um, Todd and Angie, for Angie and her cancer, and Todd for his heart, that you bring healing to them, along with Samantha, who is battling cancer of the brain, and also Mark. Uh, Lord, be with those and bring them healing that they need, Jesus. I thank you, Father God, too, for watching over us in the many situations in our lives. I pray especially, too, for uh, Barbara and her situation, and also Cindy. And, Father, I pray also, too, for a person who was rushed to the hospital the other day, and we think especially of Howard, who had a surgery on his head again, and I thank you that Betty's by his side and can help him in with this new uh, thing that they're trying to um, puts grafting on his head, Lord, that will keep him from infection. And Father God, we pray for those who we know that have addictions and that are struggling in them. We think of Ryan, we think of Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch, all these who have their demons that they're fighting, Lord. I pray that they'll go to you, Jesus, and find victory for their souls and also for their bodies who crave that addiction. And I pray for us, Lord, today as we come before your word and as we hear from your word that you will give us each something to leave here today with that we need in our hearts and our minds. And that also to Christ, that um, you will also help us as we walk every day. May we honor you with all that we do and think and say. Thank you, Christ, for being present here this morning as we also partake in the Lord's Supper. What a blessing it is for us to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. J.C. Lee Duggart, standing at 11 years old, June 10th, 1991, waiting for her school bus to come. People saw her get grabbed, but nobody could find it. And they weren't able to follow her. And at 11 years old, she was abducted as kidnapped. 18 years later, on the University of California at Berkeley, a man showed up with a young girl to enter her into college, now 28. And he was spotted by his parole. And here, she had been abducted for 18 years, held in this sexual pervert's life. Not only her, with another girl, too. And can you imagine what it felt like for her to be set free from that burden and pain in her life? Well, today we're going to be with the children of Israel. We're at the precipice right now being set free. And it's going to take faith for them and also the faith of Moses to lead them out of it. And today we hear the final refusal that Pharaoh had given them. If you remember, Pharaoh had been given nine other chances to change his mind, to repent and make difference. We know how God prepared Moses for these very moments in his life. How he was educated by the Egyptians. And how he went for 40 years out into the desert to prepare how to lead the sheep, dumb sheep, through the Canaan. And we also know that the children of Israel were prepared to be a nation after 480 years of being slaves, working hard, being built up, and building a nation from 70 to over 2 million with 600 men who were hardened and tough because of their labor as slaves. 
still the last refusal. After having plagues, all kinds of plagues, all kinds of disasters in the land, even being disastrous, he still would not repent. He would not change. He refused to let the children of Israel go. We hear the words as we begin with our passage today. So Moses said, thus said the Lord about midnight. I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who would be behind the handmill, all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such that there has never been, nor will ever again. But not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God had laid it out for Pharaoh. He had shown him with all the different things. You know that they had, 200, they had over 110 gods in that land at the time. But he picked out 10 that the gods would not be able to stop God. So that God could show that Pharaoh that he was greater than all their gods. But they wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. He continued to turn a deaf ear to God. Even with the plagues, even with all the pain and suffering he put his people through, he would not change. And that God had told the children of Israel to start collecting their debts. That the people would be collecting jewelry and money and things from the people of Israel so they were prepared to go to the next land. And Pharaoh was warned, but he wouldn't stop. In most cultures, the first son is so important. Pharaoh would lose his own first son. By promise that God had said. He would be grieved so greatly. And we know how that compensation can be. Do you remember what Pharaoh was doing? He was killing the young boys in Egypt. The young boys that were Israeli. Was afraid that they would overtake them. And so he was having them killed by the midwives. But he can prevent them all. And God now brought the tenth The great nemesis of all of life, which is death, that couldn't be stopped. What we see here is that God has given Pharaoh plenty of times of mercy and forgiveness. He's given an opportunity to, to repent and he still would not. His heart became hardened. Not only had it been hardened, but God had hardened it because he knew He put Pharaoh in this bind that he would be able to smack his head up beside the fence every day. And he still would not change. And this morning, we see what a great illustration. When God offers us mercy and we refuse to do it. How many of us have seen people who've been given chance after chance by God and refuse to repent? And we see how thick the callus comes over their heart. Sometimes God will even say, I'm done. And I'm not going to let you repent. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 1. Where we read about how people in different cultures. And this has happened again and again. Where they refuse to listen to God. Refuse to repent. And God calluses their hearts. And then they no longer can. We see it in possessions. As the Bible showed us the world that we are in. How easily it can progress. To get out of control. And be able to gather us and take us places we don't want. You see, we don't always want. We think what we know what we want. And then when we have it, we begin to find ourselves getting caught up into it. And it begins to take us. And this is what James says in James chapter 1. He says, we get into that stream of sin and that we can't get ourselves out of it. No longer are we in control, but now it controls us. And it takes us further than we're supposed to go. We ever meant it to go. It cost us more than we ever thought it would. And here, Pharaoh, prime example. God warned him. Moses warned him. And he still refused to repent. And today we begin 
Passover. The Passover of God, of the angel of death over the homes of Israel and over Egypt. Where God will cover over the Israelite children and be safe. But for Pharaoh, death reigns in his society. Sometimes we have to begin with that. You see, the beautiful thing about this thing called Passover, it starts a week, a week of cleansing. After the Passover, they had this week called unleavened bread. And what they would do is they would have a ceremony after the feast of Passover. Where every day they would go through the house for the next week and cleanse it from all, from all the netting or, or the, how could we say, uh, the yeast from their house. If you remember, Israel had to leave quickly and they didn't have yeast to take and they didn't have yeast to grow their bread and make it sweet. And the Bible talks about yeast as sin. That when we put it in and we allow it to grow like it does in bread. I don't know about you, but I've seen the actions of yeast. Have you ever gone to your counter and grabbed the bread that's in cellophane and you go to open up the bread and it's moldy? That's called by yeast. That's caused by yeast. And isn't it amazing that you could have a cracker laying on the counter for a month? It's just stale, but it doesn't mold. And Jesus spoke about yeast, the yeast in our lives that easily comes inside of us. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It's a little thing that starts and grows an infection in our hearts. Where it's easy to lose sight of God. Or easy to give ourselves into a selfishness or a jealousy or a greed or anything. That's what yeast does. It gets into the bread and it mixes and it makes it grow. But it also begins to also bring in the mold and all the other stuff as you leave it too long. And that's why Passover and the unleavened bread is so important. Because for a week, the wife will go through and clean out the house and look for any yeast that was left because yeast was considered sin and not to let it be part of their world. Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and what he was talking about, that sin. Even religious people can get it and it's envy, jealousy, hatred can easily get inside of us. And it starts with a little bit of yeast or a little bit of sin. And that we're to protect our own hearts from that. We're to be gatekeepers of our hearts. Parents are to be gatekeepers of their children. That TV show, maybe they, we shouldn't watch. Oh, we know we have all the ratings, the mature audience, and we have PG, and we have youth. But we need to watch over not only our children, but our own hearts. Because certain things and attitudes and magazines and all kinds of, of, of TV and all that can easily bring into our hearts little, just a little bit of yeast that can grow into something else. Our associations with people. There are some people that we love to be around, but are they really that good for us? We call them friends, but are they healthy for us? Do they have the same values that we have? We want to stand for what is right. Alcohol and drugs is a whole other story. We also see gambling. See, what is God trying to say to me? What is the yeast in my life that could be just a small little bit but can easily grow into a cancer in my heart that stands against God? And that we need to trust God. I'm reminded of the story of the father who him and his daughter, who's a teenager, was having an argument with him. But dad, these kids are nice kids. But he said, look at what they're doing. Look at some of the things they've done. Look at how they treat their parents. Look at how they do this. And she said, oh, it's not a big deal. He says, it is a big deal. Oh, dad. And while they were sitting there, he just thought, I can't reach her. She's not getting it. 
that little stuff can easily grow into big stuff. And then he finally sat there while they were watching TV. He said, honey, how would you like to have a drink? She said, sure. He got up, went to the refrigerator, poured two drinks, and then he went into the backyard. She's watching him, and he had a little toothpick in his hand. And he saw where the dog had just gone, and took a little toothpick and put it in her glass and brought it into her. He said, Dad, that is disgusting. Honey, it's only a little bit. It's not going to affect you. It's only a little piece in that drink. And she got the message. You and I don't know the relationships to people. We have to be on our guard because some of them, we know, they don't always have the same right way that God wants that we are. And it's so easy to be caught up into their world and lose sight of what's right with us. The Bible tells us Moses, for instance. Remember Moses? He's our star player here. Isn't it interesting that through what we've read about the children of Israel, all the time we see Pharaoh being confronted by Moses. Remember how Moses had such a hard time Trusting God. How he said, God, I can't do it. Let Aaron do it. God said, no, I've chosen you, but you're going to do it. And isn't it interesting as we go along, Moses is still speaking, not Aaron. You see, because Moses had grown in his faith. He came to realization, as it says here, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The fears that we have in our life and the things that we have challenging our lives and the sins that can easily grab a hold of us, you can conquer. And we can see that with Moses. Once Moses developed his understanding of God and realized how great God was as he dealt with Pharaoh and he learned those lessons, he didn't fear Pharaoh because he had the view of the invisible God, the great God that is more powerful than anything else, even over his own life, and that he could speak for God in front of even the greatest nation in the world because he had the greatest God that there ever was and will be. And he did it by faith. And that's how we beat this stuff. By faith, by trusting in what God says and holding on to it firm. And then look at the response of the children of Israel. Moses is given the message by God. And then he tells the children of Israel, your lamb shall be without blemish. Get a lamb, a male, a year old. You have to take him from the sheep and the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, all on the same night. And then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses of which you eat. And then you eat the flesh that night, roasted on a fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, which remind them of their suffering in Israel. And they shall eat it. And do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, burned, its head with its legs and its inner parts. The children of Israel were given what they were supposed to do. We can imagine what it was like for them to take that little lamb on the 14th day, slay the lamb, put up on the doorpost and on the lintel, the blood from the basin of where that lamb was slain. It was to be a lamb of prime age, one year old. And that was like Jesus who in the prime of his life at 33 was put up on a cross for us. And the lamb of no defect. 
no wounded leg, no bad skin problem, but perfect for God. And Jesus, who was perfect, walked this life without any sin, knowing what it was like for us to be challenged by sin, but never failing at it and conquering it every day. He was the perfect lamb for us. That it was to be slain at twilight. We remember Christ hanging on the cross to the end of the day when they finally took him down. And he gave his last breath, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken? It is finished. And there they buried him in the grave. And that the blood of that little lamb was to be applied on those doors and on that header of that door to cover the firstborn from getting taken by death. Can you imagine the imagery God is showing us here about Jesus? His atonement that he died so that we may live. His blood needed to be spilt in the Old Testament time and time again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And his blood needed to be shed for us. And he was the only perfect lamb that could ever do it, that walked to mankind for thousands of years. And that his propitiatory work his covering over our sin. That's what propitiation is. That God doesn't see our sin because he sees the perfect blood of Christ covering our hearts. And that he expiates, he takes that sinful out of us and washes us clean and redeems us with his life as that little lamb redeemed these young boys and girls, boys. And reconcile them from being enemies to God to being friends with God. That's what the lamb did. And they were to eat it, to prepare themselves because the next morning they were going on the run. They were leaving Egypt. The angel of death had finally sealed it for Pharaoh. That he was so angry and so upset that he said, just get out of my life. Get out of here now. And Moses had called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. And take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood and put it in the basement and touch the intel, lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of that door of this house until the next morning. Stay there. That blood is your protection. It covers over all. It atones for you. It gives you life. And that you understand that he's covered over for you. And here, they do that. You know, they did it as a family. I was touched by this as I was reading this. And how important it is for the family. You know, there have been researchers who've studied cultures. One I had read not too long ago had covered 18 cultures. The Greek, the Romans. Looking at our culture right now. And the first thing they found is that the moral values were so great with those. They started out so great. And that the family structure was there for it. But as the values dropped, so did the family's interaction and passing on. It diminished to the point where those cultures began to flounder and fall apart. And they found that those two factors were critical. My biggest concern for America today, even in Christian homes, is the value we spend as family. So important 
to spend time. I can remember when our kids were little. We'd sit around the table and my wife took care of some of the kids in the neighborhood and they would watch us and have the, we'd have the slider open and they'd be watching in and they'd be watching us pray together as a family. And as we interacted with each other and talked about their days and talked of values, you know, see, this is where you really have the interaction. And they hear theology, you know, the home is a, a great place of seminary children, where you can put that input into their lives. And then you can take time and pray for their friends who are struggling, or to maybe correct them about their friends or what they need to do so they can understand. And it's tragic. Families seem to be going every which way. I had a friend. <laughs> She's a Girl Scout leader. And you know how they have all those cookie drives. And at the end of the cookie drive, she would have to then go and pick up the boxes of the cookies and deliver them to the homes. She told me she had eight little girls in her troop. And she said, it amazed me. I figured I can catch them at the best time, which is supper time, when all the families would be together. She said, Pastor Dave, there was only one family that was sitting around the table talking. All the rest of them were doing other things. Three of them had pizza boxes on the counter and everybody grabbed their slice and went into a room or in front of the TV in the living room or somebody was doing the internet down in the basement and the family wasn't getting together. And they were missing such a great opportune time to educate and to bring that seminary experience into their lives. And you see, Moses made this a family experience. And these people got together every night, worshiped their God. They took the Passover and made it a very special time in the life of the family where they could teach their children the traditions and how God had saved their nation and their firstborn and led them out of bondage and how he could save them. And so here we have it. The response is great. They go right ahead and do what they're supposed to do. Moses set it up as a meal of remembrance every year. I grew up in a Jewish culture. And I can remember my friends. You see, a lot of the schools that were in the area by us did not celebrate the Jewish holidays, but our school system did. Because 75% of our kids were Jewish. And we'd have, of course, Yom Kippur off. It's the Day of Atonement. Passover, we would have off from school in our public schools because we knew the kids would not come. And this is a time where the family would spend time and go over their religious beliefs about how God delivers and how easy it is to forget. That's why we come here with the communion and do it in remembrance because it's so easy to forget how important Christ's death is for us. And his atonement for us. And his forgiveness for us. And that's why we remember it. That's why we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. Because we know the resurrection is prime important to us. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget the little things. I was reading about a guy who was in Chicago. A young man, new family, and he was all about it. And he had himself a wonderful brand new 12-cylinder Jaguar XXE. Only two months old. And man, he was proud of it. It would get him out of the inner city and back home and lickety split. And one day as he was coming out of his office down the 
road, the main road there, all of a sudden he heard something hit his car and it was a brick. He hit the brakes and jumped out of the car and there was a kid who threw the brick. He ran up to that kid and grabbed him by the throat and said, son, you're going to pay me for this. Look what you did to my beautiful car. And that little boy was crying. He said, I know, sir, I'm so sorry. I really didn't want to do it. But I couldn't get anybody to stop and help me. Help you with what? My brother. He had fallen out of his wheelchair into the road and I was afraid he was going to get hit. And I needed somebody to stop and help me pick him up and put him back in his wheelchair. He felt terrible. He went over with the little boy and put his brother back in the wheelchair. He wheeled him down the street and helped him put his brother back up into the house. And when he came back towards his Jaguar, there was a lump in his throat. That he realized there was a lot of things he was missing because he was so busy with his life and so important that he missed a lot of good things, especially with his wife and his children. And in fact, that fancy Jaguar, he never had fixed. Because his dent remembered, reminded him of how much he had lost sight of what's really important in life. Sometimes God has to do that to us, doesn't he? He has to really rattle our cage to get us to stop, to think about what's really important and do what's right. And here, God had tried to do it with Pharaoh and he didn't get it. But here the children of Israel, they're getting it. They're trusting what Moses has said by faith. And the release comes. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he called all his servants and all the Egyptians and he was a great cry in Egypt for there was no, not a house where someone was not dead. When he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, he said, go out of, from among my people both you and your people, and go and serve the Lord as you said, and take your flocks and your herd. All the things that Pharaoh said, you can leave them. He said, take it all. Get out of my sight. With the people to send them out into the land in haste. For they all said, we shall all be dead. They are fearful of dying. Here we have it. God provided for the children of Israel by the blood being over their doorposts and not a child was even scratched. While in Egypt there was suffering and crying because the firstborn of every family was dead. And it got Pharaoh's attention. In preparation for this sermon, I was reading a beautiful story that somebody had written. Probably was a piece of fiction, but I think it, it's a beautiful story that really helps us. And that is by a young boy who was Jewish, 12 years old. And he hears his father tell them about what they're going to have to do to put the blood over their house front, the doorpost and the lintel. And that son says to his father, Dad, am I not the firstborn? Twelve years old. Yeah. Come on, let's go. Let's get the lamb and let's slay it. Let's put that blood over there because I don't want to die. And are you sure this is what Moses said that God had said? Yeah. You sure it's going to cover over our home? Yeah. The boy was nervous. But his father assured him that God had said it. And it was not going to touch him. And they put the blood on their doorpost. 
and on the lintel. And that boy went to sleep that night at peace because he trusted what God had said. And the next morning he woke. And years old is crying in Egypt, but he's alive. What an assurance he could go to bed with. How many people do you know feel assurance about their own eternal life? How many people have you ever talked to that are supposed believers? And that you ask them, you know, do you know Jesus and that you're sure that you're going to go to heaven? I think so. I hope so. You don't have to hope, friend. You don't have to think. God has promised it. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, like that little boy, can be comforted. That death has no power over you. I remember going to a woman's house who'd been in church for 80 years in her life, and she was not sure. Even though she believed and trusted Jesus, and I affirmed her what God said, that he says about all of us who trust in Christ, that we don't have to be fearful, but we can be darn right sure. That we have eternal life. And that we don't have to worry about death. Because Christ spilled his blood for us. That our God has revealed himself in his power as he did on the cross. So he did it that day in Egypt. And that his promises were sure. As they are even to this day. And that he's going to deliver the children of Israel as he's delivered us for eternity. He's never in error. And that he saved us. And Moses brings that to light today for us. Today as we participate in this communion supper. I hope it reminds you of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that because you trust it, you don't have to be, I think so. Or maybe. You can say in your heart, I know so. Because God's promise in Jesus Christ and what he did has brought me eternal life. And I have no fear of death. Because of what he did. Today I want to end with a reminder to you for a little illustration that I learned several years ago. It's about a church in Norway. The church is called the Church of the Lamb. One day the Church of the Lamb decided their board decided to get their leaky belfry fixed. And so they hired a company to come and fix that high spire on this belfry that they had. And as it was, the workmen were on working. One of the workmen decided that he didn't need a harness. And as he was working, he slipped and he fell over a hundred feet. And as he was going down, there happened to be a herd of sheep walking by the front of the church. And that man landed on a sheep, killing that sheep. But he stood up and not a mark on him. Because that little sheep gave its life for him to live. And what a reminder to us that God's precious holy lamb, Jesus Christ, took our fall for our sin and has given us 
eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so thankful today that you sent your son to take the fall for us. We don't deserve it, Lord. And yet you're a great God who knew what we needed and that we can leave here today assured that we have eternal life and no one will ever take that from us. We give you praise, God, for being such a loving God and providing us a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time we'll receive our communion, the reminder of what Christ has done for us. It's a remembrance, it's a communion, and it's a pledge of God's hope for us. We remember that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. And because in his death and shame that he experienced on the cross, he received, we received new life and received the grace of covenant that all our sins are forgiven. We're also reminded in the communion that he's with us here today. And he goes with us every day. And that's the promise of his assurance to be with us. And that we also have the hope that the bread and the cup are a pledge of God's wonderful love for us. And what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that by his death, resurrection, ascension, he has obtained for us this life-giving Holy Spirit that lives and abides in us and unites us as one body in Christ, which we rejoice in. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the body of Christ that was broken for us. Amen. In like manner also he took the cup. When they had supped, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all our 
our sins and forgives us. Father, we are so humbled here today by the affectious work of your love in our hearts to mold us, to change us, to wash us, to cleanse us so we can be new people, not giving to the old patterns of life, but giving into you. Lord Jesus, may that be our wish every day that we walk in your way. And through you, Christ, we pray this. Amen. Please rise for our benediction. Our closing song. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you both now Today we see Jesus where there's no sunrise or sunset, but the light of his glory will shine on us. Amen. God be with you till we meet again. I, his counsels, guide uphold you. With his curly fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet, till we meet, till we meet at Jesus' feet, till we meet.